0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. We welcome everyone who has joined us in church this morning for worship of our Triune God. We also welcome all the visitors who have joined us this morning here in church, or with us via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consisture the following announcements. Due to the retirement of elders and deacons, Consistory invites the congregation to submit names of brothers deemed suitable to serve in the office of elder and or deacon. The letters of nomination must be substantiated and signed and are to be handed to the Secretary, Brother W. Spiker, prior to the meeting of Consistory with deacons, scheduled for Monday the 11th. (coughs) Consistory's elders only will meet tomorrow evening at 8pm, and this morning's worship service will be led by Reverend Huizinga emeritus minister from a sister church in Amaral. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing from Psalm 19 verse 3 and 6.
1: Let us rise if we can to receive God's greeting. We confess our help is in the name of the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And he greets us. Grace unto you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Amen. In response to God's greeting, we sing together from Psalm 43, the stanzas 3 and 4. Also, with regard to our theme this morning about our spiritual struggle and victory, we will sing those two stanzas, 3 and 4 of Psalm 43. in his grace has made his covenant with us and with our children, we will now submit ourselves to the words of his covenant, and afterwards we'll sing together from Psalm 130, that psalm that speaks about God raising us out of the miry pit and rescuing us. We'll sing the stanzas 1, 2, and 4 of Psalm 130, after God's law. God spoke, and in Christ speaks all these words to us, and saying, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Out of the depths of sand Let us unite in prayer and ask the Lord for a blessing. Heavenly God, we come before your throne of mercy and thank you, Lord, that you have assembled us together for worship. We thank you that we may praise and honor you, our God, our Creator and our Redeemer. We have submitted ourselves to the words of your covenant. Those words teach us to recognize our own sin and misery. For when you give a commandment, Lord, our inclination is to do the opposite. And you want not only the deed, but you want our hearts as well. Loving you with our heart, mind, and soul, all our strength, Lord, is something we cannot do naturally. We fall far short. And we pray that you will look upon us in Jesus Christ, the Holy and Righteous One. Credit us with his holy life. Credit us also with his atoning death. We thank you that we may come before you in his name and we pray you for your blessing. Also when we open your holy word and may the Spirit use that word that he inspired men to preach and to write down for posterity. Warn us, examine us, exhort and encourage us through that word. Lead us in the path of holiness without which we will not see you. Bless also the gospel in our nation to bring true reformation, a return to good biblical values, where we see growing and disturbing signs in our society. They like to do without you in your commandments. And also, too often, not always, but too often we notice that we exploit the poor and call it the lottery. We reward laziness and call it welfare. We kill our unborn and call it choice. We neglect to discipline our children and we call it building self-esteem. Yes, Lord, there are many disturbing signs. This country also moves away from you and from your word and your good commandments that build holiness, that build a wholesome and righteous nation. And Lord, we admit we are influenced by these trends. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Cleanse us from every sin and set us truly free. We pray this as instructed by our Lord, in His name, with the assurance that in Him you hear and answer us, amen. we open God's Word and we'll read a passage from the Old Testament and our text will be from the New Testament. First of all, we'll read together Psalm 143. From the Old Testament, we'll read Psalm 143, a Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me. In your righteousness enter not into judgment with your servant. For no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all my adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Thus far from God's word, let us now respond by singing together in Psalm 51, and we'll sing the stanzas 4 and 5, that Psalm of David, Psalm of penitence, after he committed adultery and murder. Psalm 51, stanzas 4 and 5. text is found in the New Testament in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 7. We'll read the verses 14 through 25. The letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 7, starting at verse 14. And there we read God's word as follows. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Our almond song after the sermon will be hymn 48 stanzas three and four. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I can easily identify with this passage we read. It exposes the raw truth about the life of every believer. But you know some commentators feel that Paul is describing here the life of a carnal Christian. It would describe Paul before his conversion applied to others. And then it speaks of some who refuse to yield to the spirit of God. They prefer to live in their sins. And yet Paul in this passage rips the covers back from his life and gives us an intimate portrait of himself and how he struggles through life. It's not the description of a carnal believer. This is what I call the portrait of a maturing saint. It is the way of life for every child of God, described with no pretensions. Well, let's look at these verses. I preach to you the word of God with this theme, our spiritual struggle and victory. Our spiritual struggle and victory. First of all, we find no fault with the law. Secondly, we frankly confess our wretched state. And thirdly, we by faith sing the victory song. Our spiritual struggle and victory. And first of all, we find no fault with the law. The commandments of God are good, says Paul. Did these commandments cause death for Paul? And Paul answers, absolutely not. God's commandments breed life, peace, order. The underlying cause of all the turmoil for Paul and for us lies not in God's commandments, not in God, but in us, in Paul and in us. The good commandment says, Do not covet. We heard it. And then my sinful nature starts to look. At what belongs to my neighbor. At his house and property. At his car and caravan. At his wife and family. The commandment sparks. The fire of envy. Well is there not a solution to this? Why not just get rid of that commandment. Delete it. Does Western society not lament and loathe God's good laws? Instead of the Sixth Commandment, you shall not kill, it says my body is my choice. Even if I want an abortion, that's my business. It eliminates the commandment. In the Bible, the Lord joins the male and the female in marriage. But in our Western society, they like to interject and say, if a man wants to wed another man, so be it. Or a woman, another woman, so be it. It's their right. And so you eliminate the commandment, just get rid of it, and you solve all problems. Anyone who says the law of God is good Well, they get criticized, even peloried. Such a stance bothers them, bothers their conscience, because then they stand guilty as transgressors. Now, can you and I not do the same and remove God's law? No, the law is spiritual. The problem is in us, not with God and His Word. God has given us good rules for proper living. It brings peace and righteousness to a land. And the very fact that they originate with God is proof enough that they are holy and righteous. But Paul says it's the flesh that is sinful. Yes, carnal means fleshly. While the law would teach man to live godly our flesh is interested in the opposite and what Paul is telling us is that there's part of him that wants to do what God says and the other part opposes that the old nature that is to be reckoned dead unto sin is in fact also still alive and well in many ways and this flesh is as wicked as it ever was It is as mean as it ever was. And it still possesses all the same ungodly appetites that it always had. And you know, if you take a look at that sinful nature by itself, just by itself, and then Paul says, if that's all that drives us, then we are sold under sin. Sold under sin. Think about that slaves of sin sold to it thankfully jesus gives us his spirit and a new person he forgives us and we're reckoned as holy before god otherwise we would be sold under sin but there is that victory song that we're going to come to sin in itself is so wretched and powerful in the life even of a redeemed person, that it contaminates everything it touches. And remember, Satan uses it to oppose God and his good commandments. And the demons do not cease to use them to attack us. So we're locked in a battle that is difficult, but it's done through the spirit of our Savior. And so we frankly say that God's law is spiritual and good. It's not the problem. And we need to say that first of all. And then secondly, we frankly confess our sinful state. And boys and girls, in this we see what you might call a tug of war. You know, if you have a church picnic, there's a creek, one side on one side and one on the other side, and a rope, and you're going to see who can pull the other side across the creek, or into the creek. Yes, even better. A tug of war. Well, we have a tug of war. The one end, it's God's good commandments leading us in the right direction. The other side wants to pull us into that creek. And Paul says he does not even understand why he does what he does. He wants to do what is right. He wants to say the right things. He wants to think the right thoughts. But before he knows it, he's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, has that not happened to you very often that you catch yourself and say, why did I say that? Why did I do that? So there's part of him that wants to do God's good law and the other part The opposite that new man who came to life on the road to Damascus he wants to Delight in the law of God, but there's that other part Yes, that wants to lead him astray And so when God says something is good then our sinful nature well Can think of reasons why it's not so good and why the opposite is good for example Going to church on Sunday is good and wholesome. You agree? Yes. But on the way, well, you might see people enjoying themselves, the family enjoying themselves, having a good time at home, not bothered by having to go to church. Or you might see people, you know, going shopping. Well, that might attract you. Or people doing some team sports. Or the neighbor has hooked up the boat and he's going to go fishing to the beach and then hmm, you might become envious of these people. Going to church is good, but just look at the opposite. It might be attractive. As Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 17, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Very good, short verse, saying exactly what Paul says here. So there seems to be two Pauls, and maybe two of us. So how many of us cannot identify with this? that we have that struggle and that fight that keeps going on and on. And Paul's not here trying to excuse himself at all. He's not saying, oh, this is not me, this is the sin in me, so I can't be accused of this. I don't want this. No, Paul doesn't say that. And Paul does not say that he's going to give up the fight. No, no, not at all. He's not just going to give in, as some people might do. But you know, people can misuse this text. There can be a person who has a hot temper. If someone tries to criticize him or her, they flare up in vehement retort. They defend themselves by attacking anyone who dares to speak against them. And if someone whom they especially detest dares to criticize them, oh, Vesuvius erupts. They cannot resist. Now, are they going to say, well, that's not me. That's just my sinful nature and I'm excused. You can't, I can't help that. It's not my fault. There can be another member who cannot overcome the urge to buy things. If there is a sale, they just have to go there and buy something, and it was 50% off. Can this urge be excused? Well, you might ask some questions. Do they resist the sale catalogs? Do they stay away from the sales? No, not at all, quite the opposite. Can you excuse them? No. Paul doesn't do that either. They they cannot say, well, my flesh did it, not me. Paul accuses himself. And he would quote the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, if sin comes along an avenue towards me, cut it off. Cut that avenue of sin off. If those sale ads cause you to sin, throw them in the rubbish bin before your eyes feast on them. If you know certain people raise your ire, pray hard for them and for yourself, that you become quick to listen, but slow to react in anger. So Paul does not excuse us. He doesn't excuse himself. He doesn't give in and say, oh, what's the use of fighting? We'll just lose. If it feels good, do it. Not at all. That's not his attitude. Paul never allowed himself to be sold to sin. His sinful nature would be inclined to that, but he didn't do that. You know, in the Bible, there is a person who did that, who sold himself to sin. I think of King Ahab. And it says in the Bible, he sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. There was no one like King Ahab who sold himself to do evil because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Excuses maybe, but God did not excuse in King Ahab. And yet, some people have the attitude that they can be excused. Some grow weary of the struggle and give in. But if we do that, then you can't sing that sweet song of victory. It must not happen to you. Paul's statement is not one of resignation, but one of victory. That's the final word in our text, victory. He is telling us that there is a new man living in his body And that new man is above that old sinful lifestyle. That new man loves the Lord. He will fight until the day he is delivered from the fight and from his body of sin. Twice in these verses, Paul says, the problem is with his old sinful nature. The good news is that he is saved and that the new Paul wants to do what is right and good and yet he's got this thing opposing him all the time and it's really grievous for him. Paul's discovery is that every time he tries to do something good there's also this motivation and there's this temptation to do the opposite. The good that I want to do, I don't. The evil I don't want to do, I end up doing. What a battle. What a tug of war. Isn't it true that when we would do something good, there's always a temptation, if it's maybe in our thoughts, maybe in our motivation, to do something that is evil, to think something that is evil, It's difficult to control our thought processes so that good wins out. The only people who don't struggle with a sinful nature are those who are lost in sin and who have given up. But when a person tries to go against the grain of the flesh, there will always be in this struggle. We do have a wicked companion. And our Reformed confessions, they acknowledge this. Article 29 in the Belgian Confession confesses about true Christians that although great weakness remains in every believer, they fight against them through the Spirit all the days of their life. And you know the proof text that is given? Romans 7, verse 17. The Heidelberg Catechism asks if converted believers can keep all of the commandments of God it's gone through the commandments from Lord's Day 34 to 44 and then in Lord's Day 44 it asks can we keep all these commandments perfectly and it answers no but even the holiest men while in this life have only a small beginning of this obedience. and then note the end of this Yet so that with earnest purpose, they begin to live not only according to some, but according to all the commandments of God. And again, the proof text, Romans 7, verse 22. So every Reformed confession uses Paul's own spiritual diary in our text to show that though we truly love the Lord and want to live for him, we have to fight Fight against our own sinful natures, natures and that the devil often uses and that the world around us will also reinforce. Paul gives us a secret look into himself. He loves the law. And whatever God says in his word, he delights in that. And that's true for us. We are saved by the grace of the Lord, we love his word, we love the Lord, we look forward to his coming. And that is a good sign. If a person hears the word of God, but hates all thoughts about doing the law, that tells me that person is not right with God. But when there is true delight, well, that's a sign we're dealing with a saved individual, That spirit is working in that person. I praise the Lord for his word. Want to do it with all my heart, don't you? And therefore, we have hope. There may be a battle raging, and it will endure to the end of this earthly life. As Jesus himself said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, this is a situation With which we can all identify. There is nothing wrong with Paul's salvation. Christ fully saved him. But and this sanctification is an ongoing process in our life. That God makes us holy. And he does so by also involving us in the spiritual struggle. The catechism speaks about it. When it says... Lead us not into temptation. Lord, we have sworn enemies. Three sworn enemies. Our sinful nature, the world, and the devil. They cease not to attack us. Strengthen us by your spirit. Always to firmly resist. And that's the struggle that we're in. So Paul's problem is that the flesh will... Ever be there trying to bring him into bondage selling him to sin but Paul says I'm going to fight the good fight I'm going to discipline myself it's like a long race a marathon and I'm going to condition myself those are the kind of thoughts that Paul has it's a battle that will never end and yet we by faith may sing the song of victory. Paul wants to free himself from this evil nature. He wants to be truly free. And you know free in the Bible would mean free to live in a holy, a peaceful and a just way. Not to be bothered by any sin. Not to be handicapped in any way that's to be truly free. That's the Christian virtue of freedom. That's our definition of it. And it's a desire of all God's children. We're not always pleased with ourselves. The honest truth is that many of us grievously hurt ourselves. I think of a an experienced church member one who was often an elder a leader in the church and people would look up to him and i can remember him telling me reverend if only you and others would know how wicked i am inside if only you knew me inside out if not for the grace of god and for the spirit i would be lost lost and not from a Mature Christian. Well Paul he calls himself wretched man that I am. And you may ask, does that great man, the apostle Paul, say that about himself? Paul say that? Wretched man that he is? Yes. He's a maturing Christian. And that process of being made holy is ongoing. And it won't stop until God calls him home. The older I grow in the Lord, the more I see my own sins stare at me. Years of fighting sin and suffering defeat causes us to see our wretched state. And only a true believer makes such a lamentation. A godless person could not care. They cover it up. But not being able to serve God as completely and wholeheartedly as you desire, that's what makes us miserable. And the grief Paul utters is poignant, really distressing. But again, I say it's not a cry of despair. Sure, he agonizes. Paul ran the race with energy and passion. He's not going to give in to utter defeat. He eagerly looks forward to the time when the struggle is over. In verse 25, Paul looks forward, looks into where his victory is coming from. And he reminds his readers that the day is coming when the children of God will be delivered from the wretched bodies. When the Lord comes for his own, whether it be by clods or by clouds, we will leave this flesh behind when we leave this world behind. I long for that day. How about you? And Paul has more in mind. Paul praises the Lord for the victory he has right now. In the midst of the battle, even though we may fall and we may have to get up again, we may have some spiritual defeats, and it may get us down. We will not always love God as we ought and love our neighbor as we ought, but there's an ongoing Maturing process. The Lord is working in us. And it's because he is working in us that we have hope. Who will deliver me? Then comes that sweet name. The full name. Our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful name. He kept every commandment. He died on the cross for our transgressions. And so we are saved from God's wrath. That's not being wretched. That is true joy. Jesus is our representative. He spoke the truth, grace, and love. He acted out of obedience. He loved his Lord, and he loved us. He paid for our transgressions. He was our scapegoat, sent away for us. And so we have a lot going our way already. We already have much in the way of victory right now, but the Lord will give us even more, no despair. You know, sometimes in our church life, we listen to prayers being made And there seems to be this overriding theme that we and ourselves are sinful. There's nothing good in us, as Paul says. We're not able to do any good. And we hear that quite often. And it can get you down. But Paul ends on a positive note. Paul will say that in this letter. He will say that very clearly, chapters 2, 3, 4, and that there's nothing good in us. But it's not something that makes him despair. He ends on a positive note. Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all busily work in us to make us holy, to bring us into his hallowed courts. We do progress. And I did quote so... Question and answer, 114 in the Catechism. Even though we have only a small beginning, yet we do begin to live, not just according to one or two commandments, but according to all the commandments of God. And we do pray for the strength of the Spirit to struggle against our sinful natures, against the world and the devil. So, do you see your own sinfulness and see the struggle or are you just coasting? So examine your own life. How you're fighting the fight. Are you giving in too easily? Are you allowing the flesh to gain the upper hand? Or are you too negative, not relying on the Lord and seeing it's the Lord's fight in you and that you rely on him? Remember what God pledged in your baptism. When he is Father and Son and Holy Spirit pledged in your baptism to dwell in you, to empower you, and to make you a holy child of God. Remember in Jesus you gain the victory. Amen. <clears throat> Hymn 48, 3 and 4. In our pastoral prayer, we'll remember the following. We'll pray for a candidate Timothy Slaw and his wife, who are making ongoing preparations. He's also preparing himself for a classes exam. We'll pray for a refreshing break for Ben and Berinda, Van de Kamp, and family. We'll give God thanks for some birthdays for Brother Ben Skoof and Sister Jenny Van Dowen. There's also <clears throat> some sadness in the past week on Tuesday, Bill Herving, a brother of Hank and Ann Herving, an uncle of Wendy Muhlenberg, passed away. We'll commend them to the Lord. This week, our sister Frances Jensen is scheduled to undergo an operation to remove her thyroid. We'll remember those in our prayer this morning. Let us unite in prayer. Heavenly God we thank you for your instruction forgive us our sins and that we constantly have to fight against our habitual sins Lord strengthen us so that we can cut off avenues along which they like to come to us give us strength to resist the wrong urgings of our fallen nature give us love and delight to walk in your ways proud out the wrong and wicked in us. We confess we cannot do it by ourselves. Holy Spirit, make us strong to struggle against our sinful habits and give us the strength and love to do what is right. We often grieve ourselves and we say to ourselves, what have we done? But most of all, Lord, we grieve you. We, in the moment, forget about you and your holy standards so that we can wallow in our sinful lusts. Our sinful desires captivate us, and Satan deceives us, and we end up empty, and we grieve ourselves. But we grieve you even more. You teach us not to despair, but to come to you, to remember the promises you made to us, in our baptism and that you will forgive us, cleanse us, give us a new heart and a right heart to love you and your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ who stood in our place. He gives us much joy. And so Lord, use your word in our life and so that your grace may be honored and become more and more visible. We pray, Lord, for the needs in the congregation. Be with the elderly and grant them joy in the midst of the creaks and groans of aging. Bless the Bible study clubs. And Lord, we pray and be with the office bearers, with the elders, the deacons, The deacons also have more needs. They're asking us for generous gifts that they can take care of those in need. We pray for the elders that you will make them good shepherds of the flock. Be with our minister as he is also away, going to Canada. We pray, Lord, grant him a good time there and also a worthwhile time there. We pray for the work of mission, and today is Father's Day, and we think of the families out there on the mission field. So often, they are crying for husbands who are faithful and loving. They're crying for fathers who love their children and take good care of them. And Lord, work with your word and spirit. That there can be faithful fathers and husbands, work in all of us men, and so that your name may receive honor, that we may reflect you. We pray, Father, for a candidate and Tim Slaw and his wife Alana, bless their preparations, and also Tim's preparation to undergo that exam. Be with. Ben and Miranda and family, and grant them a refreshing break. We thank you that there was a good leadership conference. Use it to build up your churches there. Lord, we thank you that there also can be highlights of joy. Birthdays, the seniors, we think of our brother, Ben Skoof and also our sister, Jenny Fandongan, who has had many health issues, but you give her another birthday, and our brother Ben as well. Bless them, Lord, and may each birthday be to your praise, to your faithfulness. We also think of the sad news, and that Bill having passed away and be with Hank and Ann and Wendy, and, Lord, as they grieve, grant them your comfort. There will be an empty hole, and we pray, Lord, that you will be with them. May your word fill that hole. We commend our sister, Frances Jansen to you, and we pray that you will bless the doctors so that they may operate and, indeed, may help her. We commend her to you. We ask, Lord, that you receive our thanks for your goodness to us, day by day, year by year, and we ask you, accept our voices of praise, take our offerings from our hand. We pray it all, not because we're worthy in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ, in his name, amen. You now have the opportunity to give your thank offering unto the Lord. And the thank offering is for the ministry of mercy for under his wings. And afterwards, we'll sing sing our last (coughs) song, standing hymn 30, stanzas 1, 4, and 5. Lift up your hearts to the Lord, receive his blessing and go in peace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you all, amen.